This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Hi, it's Claire Kimball here, the founder of The Squiz. This week marks six years of putting out The Squiz Today podcast, and I just wanted to say a huge thank you for listening. If you love what we do, and we hope you do, please tell your friends about us. It's all the birthday present we could ever need. Good morning, I'm Alex Tai. And I'm Siobhan Moran-McFarlane. It's Monday, the 5th of February. In your Squiz Today, the US strikes back in the Middle East. Northern Ireland gets a new leader, Imran Khan can't catch a break, and a royal popularity contest. This is your Squiz Today. Siobhan, it's been a busy weekend for US forces in the Middle East, with strikes against Syria and Iraq to start the weekend, and then attacks against Houthi targets in Yemen yesterday. Those attacks come as part of a retaliation after three US troops were killed by a drone attack last week. Yeah, so alongside killing three US troops, as you say, that drone strike also injured 40 others. And at the time, US President Joe Biden said that the US would, quote, hold all those responsible to account. Now, that process of retaliation began over the weekend, and those strikes against Iraq and Syria killed at least 39 people, according to those governments. And afterwards, the US White House released a statement saying, our response began today. It will continue at times and places of our choosing. So it doesn't sound like they're done just yet. Not at all. But Siobhan, the open question around these retaliation attacks is whether the US can carry out these strikes without causing the fighting in the region to spin out of control, which would be bad for the region, but would also have effects on Joe Biden and his chances in the US presidential election later this year. Yeah, so Joe Biden, as you say, is running for re-election, but getting into a new war in the Middle East would not be a popular move at this point in time. It just doesn't go down well with voters. Mm. Now, as for whether the weekend strikes will lead to a dramatic escalation, all eyes are on the reaction of Iran right now, which is backing the Houthis as well as other proxy military groups, causing headaches for the US and its allies in the region. And just on US politics, the Democratic Party had its first state primary election over the weekend, with South Carolina voting overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. To be fair, voter turnout was low and Biden didn't have any serious political rivals, but still an endorsement from 96% of voters must feel nice. Northern Ireland has a new first minister, Michelle O'Neill, and for the first time, she is an Irish nationalist from the traditionally anti-British Sinn Féin party. Yeah, so that's notable because it's a dramatic shift in a state that was created to ensure the dominance of pro-British unionists. And because Sinn Féin previously had ties to the Irish Republican Army, whose objective was to end British rule. But Sinn Féin now says that a united Ireland is now within touching distance. It's also important to note that O'Neill's appointment comes as her pro-British political opponents, the Democratic Unionist Party, also known as the DUP, agreed to end a two-year boycott of the power-sharing government that had brought politics in Northern Ireland to a standstill. So O'Neill is promising to represent people on both sides, saying she will be a first minister for all. The DUP will also select a deputy first minister who will have equal power to O'Neill when the assembly finally restarts this week. 
to another political story, this time in Pakistan, where the ex-Prime Minister Imran Khan has been sentenced in yet another criminal case. This time, he's been sentenced to seven years after a court found that his marriage to his wife, Bushra Bibi, was illegal and un-Islamic. Yes, so this latest case follows other sentences in the last week for leaking classified documents and selling or keeping expensive state gifts that he received while he was Prime Minister. And Khan is already serving a three-year sentence for corruption. But his political party, the PTI, has said that all of these criminal cases are orchestrated to keep them from winning Pakistan's national elections this Thursday. Instead, three-time former PM Nawaz Sharif is expected to win, even though he was also jailed for corruption ahead of the 2018 election that Khan won. So this is a very complicated story, and it does have a lot more to it, which is why we've also got a shortcut coming out tomorrow on Pakistan's torrid political history. That will be in your Squiz Today feed tomorrow. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super. Sometimes it can feel like retirement is a long way off, but whether it's two years or 20 years away, it's important to make sure your super fund is working for you. Aware Super is one of Australia's largest super funds and offers heaps of free tools and tips on its website for Aussies looking to get their super sorted and put a plan in place for their retirement. Read the PDS and TMD at aware.com.au. One of Australia's most influential First Nations leaders and activists, Loicha O'Donoghue, died yesterday at 91 years old on Ghana country in Adelaide, South Australia. She's been remembered by Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, who called her one of the most remarkable leaders this country's ever known. And he recognised her work to bring about meaningful and lasting reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australia. She was also part of the Stolen Generation, having been taken from her mother at the age of two, and she only reunited with her 30 years later. But that didn't stop her because during her life she became South Australia's first Aboriginal nurse and then had a series of very prominent public service roles. And she became the first Aboriginal Australian to address the United Nations and worked with Paul Keating to negotiate the Native Title Act after the 1992 Mabo decision. So her achievements just go on and on. We could do a whole podcast on her, Alex. We certainly could. Louisa's niece, Deb Edwards, released a statement yesterday saying, quote, We adored and admired her when we were young and have grown up full of never-ending pride. The British love their royals and every now and again they run a poll to figure out just how much they love their royals and which ones, Siobhan, they love most. And the results of that poll have come out yesterday and it seems like one of the more popular things you can do as a royal is go to hospital. Okay, first of all, Alex, some British love the royals, just saying. (laughs) But yes, both King Charles and Princess Kate have been in hospital recently and they each received a 3% boost in the public popularity stakes. Queen Camilla also got a boost in the polls for keeping calm and carrying on in their absence. But all of them are lagging behind the most popular royal, which is, of course, the heir to the throne, Prince William, who's just been number one forever, I feel like. Now, 
according to this poll, there are 62% of Britons who feel favourably about him. Yes, so William is number one. And then way down the list is Prince Harry. Harry and Meghan's popularity actually dropped in this latest survey. And 47% said they have an unfavourable opinion of Prince Harry. Well, to quote the Crown, Alex, it's harder to be number two. Squiz the day, Siobhan. What is going on today? So there's going to be movement on the Ben Roberts Smith case. Now, he's the Victoria Cross recipient who lost his defamation case against the publisher of the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age and The Canberra Times over reports he'd committed war crimes while deployed in Afghanistan. Now, at 10.15 today, Sydney time, his appeal against that decision will kick off before the full federal court. And that is it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to this Squiz newsletter. We'll have a link in the show notes and we'll be back with you tomorrow. G'day, Kate Watson here. I'm the host of Weekly Wrap and News Club, a place for conversations about the news. It's budget week, so I'm here to tell you about our News Club episode from last week, where Claire chatted with James Chessel. He's the former managing director of publishing at Nine Entertainment. He was also a staffer earlier in his career, so they have a good chat about how the budget sausage is made. Here's a small snippet. The most important policy set of policies the government will announce every year. So it's important that it's not um, announced willy-nilly, although mm. they do leak <laughs> a, a fair amount of it. Yeah. And there is a famous time when uh, when um, Laurie Oakes, the nine journalist, got his hand on the budget papers b- the day before the budget and was it's able to such print. such an incredible story. Was able to print a lot of it, um, which was, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> but the other thing is... A lot of what the Treasurer will announce has the ability to move markets, yeah. um, direct impact on on businesses and, and other organisations. So, you know, there does need to be some rigour and uh, confidence that it will be handed, handled in an appropriate, appropriate way. For more on that chat, just search for News Club in your podcast app or follow the link in your episode notes.